Chapter Twenty Three of Piccadilly Jim by P. G. Whithouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Piccadilly Jim, Chapter Twenty Three, Stirring Times for the Pets. Gentleman Jack had lowered his revolver and was standing, waiting to explain all, with the insufferable look of the man who is just going to say that he has only done his duty and requires no thanks. Who are you? he said. Never mind who I am, said Miss Trimble curtly. Mrs. Pet knows who I am. I hope you won't be offended, Lord Wisbeach, said Mrs. Pet from the group by the door. I engaged a detective to help you. I really thought you could not manage everything yourself. I hope you do not mind. Not at all, Mrs. Pet. Very wise. I am so glad to hear you say so. An excellent move. Miss Trimble broke in on these amiable exchanges. Was all this? How'd you mean, help me? Lord Wisbeach most kindly offered to do all he could to protect my nephew's explosive, said Mrs. Pett. Gentleman Jack smiled modestly. I hope I have been of some slight assistance. I think I came down in the nick of time. Look! He pointed to the safe. He had just got it open. Luckily, I had my pistol with me. I covered him and called for help. In another moment he would have got away." Miss Trimble crossed to the safe and inspected it with a frown, as if she disliked it. She gave a grunt and returned to her place by the window. "'Made good job of it,' was her comment. Anne came forward. Her face was glowing and her eyes shone. "'Do you mean to say that you found Jimmy breaking into the safe? I never heard anything so absurd.' Mrs. Pett intervened. This is not James Crocker, Anne. This man is an impostor who came into the house in order to steal Willie's invention. She looked fondly at Gentleman Jack. Lord Wisbeach told me so. He only pretended to recognize him this afternoon. A low gurgle proceeded from the open mouth of little Ogden. The proceedings bewildered him. The scene he had overheard in the library between the two men had made it clear to him that Jimmy was genuine and Lord Wisbeach a fraud, and he could not understand why Jimmy did not produce his proofs as before. He was not aware that Jimmy's head was only just beginning to clear from the effects of the blow on the chin. Ogden braced himself for resolute lying in the event of Jimmy calling him as a witness, but he did not intend to have his little business proposition dragged into the open. Anne was looking at Jimmy with horror-struck eyes. For the first time it came to her how little she knew of him and how very likely it was, in the face of the evidence it was almost certain, that he should have come to the house with the intention of stealing Willie's explosive. She fought against it, but a voice seemed to remind her that it was he who had suggested the idea of posing as Jimmy Crocker. She could not help remembering how smoothly and willingly he had embarked on the mad scheme. But had it been so mad? Had it not been a mere cloak for this other venture? If Lord Wisbeach had found him in this room, with the safe blown open, what other explanation could there be? And then, simultaneously with her conviction that he was a criminal, came the certainty that he was the man she loved. It had only needed the spectacle of him in trouble to make her sure. She came to his side with the vague idea of doing something to help him, of giving him her support. Once there, she found that there was nothing to do and nothing to say. She put her hand on his and stood waiting helplessly for she knew not what. 
It was the touch of her fingers which woke Jimmy from his stupor. He came to himself almost with a jerk. He had been mistily aware of what had been said, but speech had been beyond him. Now, quite suddenly, he was a whole man once more. He threw himself into the debate with energy. "'Good heavens!' he cried. "'You're all wrong. I found him blowing open the safe!' Gentleman Jack smiled superciliously. "'A likely story, what? I mean to say, it's a bit thin.' "'Ridiculous,' said Mrs. Pett. She turned to Miss Trimble with a gesture. "'Arrest that man!' "'Wait a moment,' replied the clear-headed maiden, picking her teeth thoughtfully with the muzzle of her revolver. "'Wait a moment. Gotta look into this. Hear both sides these guys' stories.' "'Really?' said Gentleman Jack, suavely. "'It seems somewhat absurd.' "'Nay, mind how absurd sounds,' returned the fair Trimble rebukingly. "'You close your face and listen to me. That's all you got to do.' "'I know you didn't do it,' cried Anne, tightening her hold on Jimmy's arm. "'Less of it, please, less of it.' Miss Trimble removed the pistol from her mouth and pointed it at Jimmy. "'What have you got to say? Talk quick.' "'I happen to be down there. Why?' asked Miss Trimble, as if she had touched off a bomb. Jimmy stopped short. He perceived difficulties in the way of explanation. "'I happened to be down there,' he resumed stoutly, "'and that man came into the room with an electric torch and a blowpipe and began working on the safe.' The polished tones of Gentleman Jack cut in on his story. "'Really, now, is it worth while?' He turned to Miss Trimble. "'I came down here having heard a noise. I did not happen to be here for some unexplained purpose.' I was lying awake and something attracted my attention. As Mrs. Pett knows, I was suspicious of this worthy and expected him to make an attempt on the explosive at any moment, so I took my pistol and crept downstairs. When I got here, the safe was open and this man making for the window." Miss Trimble scratched her chin carelessly with the revolver and remained for a moment in thought. Then she turned to Jimmy like a striking rattlesnake. You gotta pull something better than that, she said. I got your number. We cut you with the goods. No, cried Anne. Yes, said Mrs. Pett. The thing is obvious. I think the best thing I can do, said Gentleman Jack smoothly, is to go and telephone for the police. You think of everything, Lord Wisbeach, said Mrs. Pett. Not at all, said his lordship. Jimmy watched him moving to the door. At the back of his mind there was a dull feeling that he could solve the whole trouble if only he could remember one fact which had escaped him. The effects of the blow he had received still handicapped him. He struggled to remember, but without result. Gentleman Jack reached the door and opened it, and as he did so, a shrill yapping, hitherto inaudible because of the intervening oak and the raised voices within, made itself heard from the passage outside. Gentleman Jack closed the door with a hasty bang. I say, that dog's out there," he said plaintively. The scratching of Ida's busy feet on the wood bore out his words. He looked about him, baffled. "'That dog's out there,' he repeated gloomily. Something seemed to give way in Jimmy's brain. The simple fact which had eluded him till now sprang into his mind. "'Don't let that man get out!' he cried. "'Good Lord! I've only just remembered!' You say you found me breaking into the safe? You say you heard a noise and came down to investigate? 
Well, then, what's that test-tube of the explosive doing in your breast pocket? He swung round to Miss Trimble. You need take my word or his word. There's a much simpler way of finding out who's the real crook. Search us both. He began to turn out his pockets rapidly. Look here, and here, and here. Now ask him to do the same." He was pleased to observe a spasm pass across Gentleman Jack's hitherto composed countenance. Miss Trimble was eyeing the latter with sudden suspicion. "'That's so,' she said. "'Say, Bill, I've forgotten your name. It's up to you to show us. Let's have a look what you got inside there.' Gentleman Jack drew himself up haughtily. "'I really could not agree to—' Mrs. Pett interrupted indignantly. I never heard of such a thing. Lord Wisbeach is an old friend. Lass of it, ordered Miss Trimble, whose left eye was now like the left eye of a basilisk. You gotta show us, Bill, so be quick about it. A tired smile played over Gentleman Jack's face. He was the bored aristocrat, mutely protesting against something that wasn't done. He dipped his slender fingers into his pocket. Then, drawing out the test-tube and holding it up, he spoke with a drawling calm for which even Jimmy could not help admiring him. "'All right. If I'm done, I'm done.' The sensation caused by his action and his words was of the kind usually described as profound. Mrs. Pett uttered a strangled shriek. Willie Partridge yelped like a dog. Sharp exclamations came simultaneously from each of the geniuses. Gentleman Jack waited for the clamor to subside. Then he resumed his gentle drawl. "'But I'm not done,' he explained. "'I'm going out now through that window. And if anybody tries to stop me, it will be his—or her—he bowed politely to Miss Trimble—last act in the world. If anyone makes a move to stop me, I shall drop this test-tube and blow the whole damned place to pieces.' If his first speech had made a marked impression on his audience, his second paralyzed them. A silence followed as of the tomb. Only the yapping of the dog Ida refused to be stilled. "'Stay where you are,' said Miss Trimble, as the speaker moved towards the window. She held the revolver poised, but for the first time that night, possibly for the first time in her life, she spoke irresolutely. Superbly competent woman though she was, here was a situation that baffled her. Gentleman Jack crossed the room slowly, the test-tube held aloft between forefinger and thumb. He was level with Miss Trimble, who had lowered her revolver and had drawn to one side, plainly at a loss to know how to handle this unprecedented crisis, when the door flew open. For an instant the face of Howard Bemis the poet was visible. "'Mrs. Pett, I have telephoned—' Then another voice interrupted him. Yipe, yipe, yipe! Through the opening, the dog Ida, rejoicing in the removal of the obstacle, raced like a fur muff mysteriously endowed with legs and a tongue. She tore across the room to where Gentleman Jack's ankles waited invitingly. Ever since their first meeting, she had wanted a fair chance at those ankles, but someone had always prevented her. Damn! shouted Gentleman Jack. The word was drowned in one vast cataclysm of noise. From every throat in the room there proceeded a shout, a shriek, or some other variety of cry, as the test-tube, slipping from between the victim's fingers, described a parabola through the air. Anne flung herself into Jimmy's arms, and he held her tight. He shut his eyes. 
Even as he waited for the end, the thought flashed through his mind that, if he must die, this was the manner of death which he would prefer. The test-tube crashed on the writing-desk and burst into a million pieces. Jimmy opened his eyes. Things seemed to be much about the same as before. He was still alive. The room in which he stood was solid and intact. Nobody was in fragments. There was only one respect in which the scene differed from what it had been a moment before. Then it had contained Gentleman Jack, now it did not. A great sigh seemed to sweep through the room. There was a long silence. Then, from the direction of the street, came the roar of a starting automobile. And at that sound, the bearded man with the spectacles who had formed part of Miss Trimble's procession uttered a wailing cry. Gee, he's better than my bubble, and there was a hired one. The words seemed to relieve the tension in the air. One by one, the company became masters of themselves once more. Miss Trimble, that masterly woman, was the first to recover. She raised herself from the floor, for with a confused idea that she would be safer there she had flung herself down, and having dusted her skirt with a few decisive dabs of her strong left hand, addressed herself once more to business. "'I'd let him bluff me with a fake bomb,' she commented bitterly. She brooded on this for a moment. "'Say, shut the door again, someone, and to run this mud out. I can't think with that yapping going on.' Mrs. Pett, pale and scared, gathered Ida into her arms. At the same time Anne removed herself from Jimmy's. She did not look at him. She was feeling oddly shy. Shyness had never been a failing of hers, but she would have given much now to have been elsewhere. Miss Tremble again took charge of the situation. The sound of the automobile had died away. Gentleman Jack had passed out of their lives. This fact embittered Miss Trimble. Who spoke with asperity. Well, he's gone, she said acidly. Now we can get down to cases again. Say, she addressed Mrs. Pett, who started nervously. The experience of passing through the shadow of the valley of death and of finding herself in one piece instead of several thousand had robbed her of all her wanted masterfulness. Say, listen to me. There's been a double game on here tonight. That guy that's just gone was the first part of the entertainment. Now we start the second part. You see these ducks?" She indicated with a wave of the revolver Mr. Crocker and his bearded comrade. They were trying to kidnap your son. Mrs. Pett uttered a piercing cry. Augie! Oh, can it, muttered that youth uncomfortably. He foresaw awkward moments ahead, and he wished to concentrate his faculties entirely on the part he was to play in them. He looked sideways at Chicago Ed. In a few minutes, he supposed, Ed would be attempting to minimize his own crimes by pretending that he, Ogden, had invited him to come and kidnap him. Stout denial must be his weapon. "'I have my suspicions,' resumed Miss Trimble, "'that something is going to be pulled off tonight, and I was waiting outside for it to break loose. This guy here,' she indicated the bearded plotter, who blinked deprecatingly through his spectacles, He's been waiting on the corner of the street for the last hour with an automobile. I've been watching him right along. I was on to his game. Well, just now, out came the kid with this plug-ugly here." She turned to Mr. Crocker. "'Say you, take off the mask. Let's have a look at you.' Mr. Crocker reluctantly drew the cambric from his face. "'Gosh!' exclaimed Miss Trimble in strong distaste. "'Say, 
You've got some kind of plague, or what is it? You look like a colored comic supplement. She confronted the shrinking Mr. Crocker and ran a bony finger over his cheek. Makeup, she said, eyeing the stains disgustedly. Grease paint. Gosh. Skinner, cried Mrs. Pett. Miss Trimble scanned her victim more closely. So it is, if you do a bit of excavating. She turned to the bearded one. I guess all the shrubbery is fake if come down to it. She wrenched at the unhappy man's beard. It came off in her hands, leaving a square chin behind it. If this ain't a wig, you'll have a headache tomorrow, observed Miss Trimble, weaving her fingers into his luxuriant head covering and pulling. Wish you luck. Ah, twas a wig. Give me those spectacles. She surveyed the results of her handiwork grimly. Say, Clarence, she remarked, you're a wise guy. You look handsomer with them on. Does anyone know this duck? It is Mitchell, said Mrs. Pett, my husband's physical instructor. Miss Trimble turned and walked toward Jimmy, tapping him meaningly on the chest with her revolver. Say, this is getting interesting. This is where you explain, young man, how twas you happened to be down in this room when the crook was just gone was monkeying with the safe. Looks to me as if you were in with these two. A feeling of being on the verge of one of those crises which dot the smooth path of our lives came to Jimmy. To conceal his identity from Anne any longer seemed impossible. He was about to speak when Anne broke in. "'Aunt Nesta,' she said, "'I can't let this go on any longer. Jerry Mitchell isn't to blame. I told him to kidnap Ogden.' There was an awkward silence. Mrs. Pett laughed nervously. I think you had better go to bed, my dear child. You have had a severe shock. You are not yourself. But it's true. I did tell him, didn't I, Jerry?" Say, Miss Trimble silenced Jerry with a gesture. You beat it back to your little bed, honey, like your aunt says. You say you told this guy to steal the kid? Well, what about this here Skinner? You didn't tell him, did you? I, I, Anne began confusedly. She was utterly unable to account for Skinner, and it made her task of explaining difficult. Jimmy came to the rescue. He did not like to think how Anne would receive the news, but for her own sake he must speak now. It would have required a harder-hearted man than himself to resist the mute pleading of his father's grease-painted face. Mr. Crocker was a game sport. He would not have said a word without the sign from Jimmy. Even to save himself from a night in prison, but he hoped that Jimmy would speak. "'It's perfectly simple,' said Jimmy, with an attempt at airiness which broke down miserably under Miss Trimble's eye. "'Perfectly simple. I really am Jimmy Crocker, you know.' He avoided Anne's gaze. "'I can't think what you are making all this fuss about.' "'Then why you sit on a plot to kidnap this boy?' "'That, of course, ha, <laughs> ha! might seem at first sight to require a little explanation. You admit it, then? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did have the idea of kidnapping Ogden. Wanted to send him to a dog's hospital, if you understand what I mean. He tried to smile a conciliatory smile, but, encountering Miss Trimble's left eye, abandoned the project. He removed a bead of perspiration from his forehead with his handkerchief, it struck him as a very curious thing that the simplest explanations were so often quite difficult to make. Before I go any further, I ought to explain one thing. 
Skinner there is my father. Mrs. Pett gasped. Skinner was my sister's butler in London. In a way of speaking, said Jimmy, that is correct. It's rather a long story. It was this way, you see. Miss Trimble uttered an ejaculation of supreme contempt. I never saw such a lot of babbling crooks in my life. It beats me what you hope to get pulling this stuff. Say, she indicated Mr. Crocker, this guy's wanted for something over in England. We've got his picture in the office. If you ask me, he lit out with the spoons or something. Say, she fixed one of the geniuses with her compelling eye. About time you made yourself useful. Go and call up the Astor Bill on the phone. There's a dame there that's been making inquiries for this duck. She told Andersons, and Andersons handed it on to us, to call her up any hour of the day or night when they found him. You go get her on the wire and tell her to come right up here in a taxi and identify him. The genius paused at the door. Whom shall I ask for? Mrs. Crocker, snapped Miss Trimble. This is Bingley Crocker. Tell her we found the guy she's been looking for. The genius backed out. There was a howl of anguish from the doorway. I beg your pardon, said the genius. Can't you look where you're going? I am exceedingly sorry. Brrrr! Mr. Pett entered the room, hopping. He was holding one slippered foot in his hand and appeared to be submitting it to some form of massage. It was plain that the usually mild and gentle little man was in a bad temper. He glowered round him at the company assembled. "'What the devil's the matter here?' he demanded. "'I stood it as long as I could, but a man can't get a wink of sleep with this noise going on.' "'Yip, yip, yip!' barked Ida from the shelter of Mrs. Pett's arms. Mr. Pett started violently. "'Kill that dog! Throw her out! Do something to her!' Mrs. Pett was staring blankly at her husband. She had never seen him like this before. It was as if a rabbit had turned and growled at her. Coming on top of the crowded sensations of the night, it had the effect of making her feel curiously weak. In all her married life she had never known what fear was. She had coped dauntlessly with the late Mr. Ford, a man of a spirited temperament, and as for the mild Mr. Pett, she had trampled on him. But now she felt afraid. This new Peter intimidated her. End of chapter 23